98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Yeah, could I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? Man, does this smell good. Wolfing down your lunch. <laughs> Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Luke. Hey, boys. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. It is time for Wolfing Down Your Lunch, all of today's top sports stories in one place. And uh, there's a pretty big one today. Here's Aaron Maloney. Aaron? So Phoenix Suns and Mercury owner Robert Sarver announced this morning that he has begun the process to sell both franchises. Sarver said that he first expected to reflect and self-improve himself during a one-year suspension from the team. But the, quote, unforgiving climate, unquote, has made it clear a return will not allow for the teams to move forward. Are you surprised that this happened this fast? Uh, maybe this fast. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. maybe the clarity that it's we've been eight received. Days. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this fast, but um, I thought it would be 2022. Yeah. Ultimately, capitalism wins. I mean, that's what it comes down to. This is about selling the team at a um, at a price that isn't a fire sale, basically. Yeah, um, and it was just, you, you You hear Draymond Green talking yesterday, you hear Chris Paul and LeBron James tweeting last week, you hear the president and CEO of PayPal saying, okay, we're gonna we're not going to keep being a sponsor of the Suns. I mean, it's PayPal, it's the logo right on the front of the jersey, and you know, I'm sure there would have been others. There was going to be pushback, I'm sure, from, from fans. There's probably going to be pushback from other players with media days starting up next week, not just for the Suns, but for other teams. I, this just, it seemed inevitable at some point this season. Yeah, Robert Sarber is a businessman, and once again, he did not want to have a fire sale on this franchise, and that's not going to happen. I would also say this, too. That quote that Maloney just read, that, uh, but in our current unforgiving climate, it has become painfully clear that that is no longer possible. You can have the conversation that we've all become a lot more unforgiving over the last however many years, and there's probably some truth to that, and we probably collectively should work on that, but I don't think this is that instance where we need to work on it. That's like, it would have been nice to see Robert Sarver just have a statement like, look, I messed up, and I don't want to sell this team, but I need to, and I get it, and then that, but th- that that line is the one that's going to get everybody like, you're basically just turning this around on everybody else? Like, that's just a reason you're selling the team today, or whenever you end up selling it. According to ESPN, Adrian Wojnarowski, the Suns are considered an extremely desirable franchise in the marketplace and will have no shortage of high-level ownership candidates. This is, uh, you talk to league executives and GMs around the league, and for years they have all believed that the Suns could be a monster free agent destination, you know, up there with the elite, uh, with the L.A.s, the New York's, the Chicago's, with the right ownership group. And so that'll certainly be incumbent uh, yeah, on on the next group and and who that's going to be, and you know, listen, Robert Sarver does have you know a lot of say over who he sells this team to. Of course, any uh, group would have to be approved by the NBA, uh, but certainly uh, there are a lot of significant uh, high level potential ownership groups who've had interest in the Suns, and now certainly that's going to accelerate uh, with Sarver's announcement that he's selling. Your reaction to that? 
I think this is something a lot of Suns fans have been saying slash hoping for years and years, even before the team, especially almost before the team got good of like, okay, we should be, we should be that sleeping giant that people sometimes put the label on. Yeah. It's you, right? Okay. Yeah. You are a team in the NBA that has had a lot of success. You haven't won the title, but you've had a lot of success just in terms of winning percentage. You've had some great players. Look where you're located. People like to retire here. People like to live here. Like you said, Wolf, between October and April when basketball season is going, you should be one of the premier free agent destinations. Yeah, man, the future looks so good for this team right now, and it's going to drive the price up for this franchise. It is hyper-talented team, new practice facility, arena that has been completely renovated, excellent coach, excellent general manager, man. I mean, everything is in place for some somebody to come in and win right now and do well right now. That's just going to drive the price up. So now that this news came out today, media day, training camp gets underway on Monday. Do you think this is still going to be a distraction or do you think now that he's selling the team, they can they will obviously have to address it. They will get asked about it. But then do you think they'll be able to move on? I think what it does is, yeah, like you said, they're still going to get asked about it next week. But I think you, this helps prevent Suns players from being asked about it in December or January unless they want to voluntarily bring it up. And I think it also makes it a little def- different dynamic, right, Wolf? If somebody comes up and asks you to take a stand against your owner at Yo. Media Day, that is different than asks you your opinion on something on, on somebody that's selling the team. That They're not going to be technically your boss. Yeah. In in however many months. Yeah, exactly right. It could be easily a no comment on that. I'm not going to yeah, comment on that. You don't have to now because you don't have to. This is the end to me. This is the end. On this day, September 21st, 1986, Wolf delivered a devastating hit on Ray Bentley against the Bills. Second quarter. Second quarter. Now, here is the play-by-play of that play. <laughs> but then I want you to go into the story oh, behind my it. Goodness. This one will be returned by Sikahema from the goal line. A saving tackle. A saving tackle was made by Ray Bentley, a new linebacker with this team. Number 50. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, Ray Bentley was the guy that I was blocking on that play. Go back and look at it. Maloney actually found tape on it. No, actually, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Okay. I did DM the St. Louis football Cardinals on Twitter because I could not find the video, and they actually sent me the video. So shout out to them. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we got the tape, and there it was, of course. I came all the way across the field. I had lined up on the right side of the field on the numbers. Ray Bentley was on the left side of the field on the numbers. He was coming down base and Ian's going south and I started running west, if you know what I mean. And I started running all the way across the field. He was running all the way down the field. I caught him right underneath the shoulder, right in the face and I blasted him. The spot above my eyebrows, right on the spot below his lips. Jacked him up. Ray Bentley flew five yards in the air west. I flew five yards in the air south. Huge collision. 
Ray Bentley separated his shoulder on that play and got up somehow, someway, and made the tackle on Vaisikahima. That was the craziest part of that call. Okay, after getting knocked out to the ground. And oh, by the way... I basically whizzed my pants and forgot who I was for an hour. I didn't come to, seriously, until the fourth quarter. Now, when I say that, I I was functioning. I was walking around. But they had to stick Mark Duda, a defensive tackle, on the bench with me to hold me on the bench because I kept trying to get back yeah, in the game. This is the game, right? You were embracing to your D-hop. Yeah. Running back on the field. I, get back on I, the sideline, Wolf. I was. Yeah. It was incredible, man. Seriously. Gene Stalling said, Bob wanted it. Will somebody shut that kid up? That's what he said. Did that work? And no, I kept saying, what happened? I what say. happened? I came back in the fourth quarter, though. I came too, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right, that was Wolfen down your lunch. Thank you, Aaron. When we come back, what did Max Starks think about that Cardinals comeback against the Raiders on Sunday? We're going to ask the two-time Super Bowl champion in maximum football next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. He played tackle in the NFL for more than a decade. Matt Starks. Matt Starks. Maximum Football. Brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Please welcome, from the University of Florida, tackle Max Starks. Yeah, Max Starks joining us now for Maximum Football on this Wednesday afternoon. Max, how's it going? I am doing peachy, gentlemen. I am just in the midst of my last second packing because I go on a four-day road trip. Three games in four days, so wow. I'm ecstatic. Wow. What, uh, <laughs> what, what games are you doing other than the Steelers? Yeah, so I have Steelers-Browns tomorrow night, and then fr- and then Saturday I have Texas A&M-Arkansas down in Dallas at Jerry's World, and then Sunday I have Jags-Chargers in SoFi. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Boy, that is, it's good to be king, is it not? <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, listen, as, as, long, as long as the first-class seat um, upgrade is available, it's great to be king. Are you but really, my coach seat I'm on right now is not is not king. Do you it's really like feel Jester. like the king flying to Cleveland and coach? Does that make you feel like the king, Max, or is that not quite where you were envisioning? I, I, I mean, but you know, it's kind of appropriate, right? I mean, you know, flying to Cleveland, which you know, this, this, now, hey, wow. you'll appreciate this, Ron. Yeah. Um, your your brother Craig this morning threw out a, a fascinating statistical statistical anomaly for us. <laughs> Did you know that the Cuyahoga River there in Cleveland has caught on fire thirteen times? <laughs> Since 1892. I didn't didn't know that it had caught on fire 13, but I did know that it had caught on fire. Yes. Do you believe that? That's a lot of Only in Cleveland. Only in Cleveland. I'm not a scientist, but that doesn't sound real safe if your water's catching on fire. Oh, Uh, so nasty. All right, Max. um, Let's let's go back to Sunday, and I'll reset the scene for everybody. There was a moment there, if you're a football fan in the Valley, where the Sun Devils were firing their head coach as the Cardinals were down 20 to nothing going into halftime. It didn't feel like a great moment for football here. And in the second half, the Cardinals looked like a completely different team. And it wasn't just 
Kyler Murray, but at times it was mostly Kyler Murray. So let's start there. Some of the highlight reels he he the higher plays he pulled off in the fourth quarter. Have you seen anything like that before? Listen, the world's longest uh, two-point conversion. 21 seconds. <laughs> I mean, no, no. And then the amount of, I think next-gen stats had like 81 yards he covered mm-hmm. in that 21 seconds to get Strong, two man. yards of forward progress. Like it was, that was, that. I mean, that was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that that is one of those things where, you know, where you have the speedy guy trying, trying to run around and get away from a bunch of uh, fat guys. Like that's essentially what it was. He was just sitting there moving, juking, you know, directing traffic. Conducting, and then he said, "Ah, never mind. I'll take it." <laughs> yeah, I honestly, there there were plays in that game that I could not even believe. I, I've never seen anything like that two point conversion. I, I don't know about you, Max, but I've never seen never. anything that even came close to what he did on that two point conversion. Twenty one seconds, eighty five yards. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely insane um, how how long it was, A, for a play, and of course, an untimed play. So the good thing was he did not waste time off the clock because they needed every second to get to that last score so that they could go for the two-point yep. conversion. So that was one thing that saved them. Um, but it was, just, it was just tremendous. I mean, what Kyler was able to do with his legs and being able to will his team to win um, was just tremendous because, like you said, the first half was just abysmal, right? Oh. Picks, no, you know, stalled drives here and there. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And it was like, is this a continuation, right? I mean, that's what everybody's thinking. Is this a continuation? The hangover from last year? Yes. Um, and for for Kyler to then come back in that second half and, and like you said just take over the fourth quarter and to get not only two improbable touchdowns but then to get two convert for uh, no. two point conversions back to back when hey, you Max, needed them was Max, tremendous man the two point throw to AJ Green in the back of the oh, end zone to me I was beautiful oh well, my it, goodness so when you watch that play right Wolf notice what AJ did right he played he played basketball. He boxed the guy out of essentially the paint for basketball terminology. And then when Kyler gave him the hand to flick him off, that's when he came inside. And that's when Kyler threw in that window. It was tremendous seeing it from the back end zone view of it, which I thought was tremendous. But I was like, how did this happen? Yeah. And then I go to the overhead, to all 22, and I saw, okay, A.J. did a good job. He bodied the guy out and boxed him out. And therefore, that, that linebacker that he was teardropping over did not know what was going on behind him because he thought the corner had the outside and they were running kind of like a bracket. And then A.J. comes across that back end line and boom, he hits him right there in stride. It was, it was beautiful. Uh, here's Kyler Murray talking about if he felt like it was an 80-plus yard run on that play on the Sunday. He just spoke today. No. No. Um, no, it didn't feel like 84 yards. didn't feel like 20 seconds. Um, it's kind of short. It felt like. So... Max, here's here's the other part though, because that's the crazy touchdown run for the first two point conversion. Like you just said, you you had all these things had to be checked off your checklist to be able to even come back in that game. And the two point conversion that Wolf's talking about, that throw to AJ Green, may have even been tougher. It was also from the seven yard line because they kept getting delay game penalties and not being able to get the, the, up to the line of scrimmage in time and having to burn timeouts. From your experience in the offensive line, is that something they can fix before? Sunday against the Rams? 
You know, I, I mean, it has to be fixed, right? You have to have cleaner communication uh, moving forward and making sure that everybody understands what their role is and understanding what the play call is, what the adjusters are. I mean, that's something that's just – that's a when you have a pre-snap mechanism like that, you've got to be on top of your communication. And I thought that was one of the few, few times like you talk about. It, it was just breakdowns that made it impossible. And these are things you rep in practice. So you should be able to come out there, be able to call it up. You know, I remember in my time, I mean, we had we had four two-point conversion plays that we ran religiously during the season. We didn't know when we were going to call them, but you rep it in training camp, you rep it in practice every single week, and then when it's called, you're like, okay, finally. You know, we can yeah. finally run this play that we've been practicing. So it's just interesting how they couldn't get up for that and get ready for it in that situation. You know what's amazing about it? When I watched the tape, uh, Kyler Murray was the player of the game. There's no doubt about that. He, he was absolutely incredible, like I've never seen. And on the defensive side of the ball, Byron Murphy, man, Byron Murphy was locked down. He was a lockdown quarterback, uh, cornerback on Devontae Adams, of all people. I did not see that coming. He did a great job. But I will tell you as well, the next guy that I think of is DJ Humphreys and the job he did on Chandler Jones. Talk a little bit about what you saw from DJ and the offensive line overall. Yeah, offensive line had, had, had a really good day. I mean, when you're talking about Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, two Pro Bowl yeah. uh, defensive end pass rush specialists, however they're designated now these days, uh, we would call them DNs back in the day. But, I mean, for them to go through that, to get through just blocking Chandler, I mean, I think Chandler had, what, maybe two or three tackles total on the day? Um, that's a tremendous day. And to have him not get a single sack in the ball game, and really the only sack came for what Max Crosby in fourth, and that was in the fourth quarter, right on Beach, where he kind of he kind of willed Beach, kind of got him outside and wheeled him around, and then came back to the inside on Kyler. The only time you could touch Kyler, apparently. Um, but I just thought they played a really good game. They allowed for the offense to really run efficiently, especially in that second half. I know Kyler was, you know, a little upset. You know, he had he had that pick um, down the sideline. Who's he trying to – I think he was trying to get to yeah, Hollywood. Hollywood Brown, I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of football in my head, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I but, feel that. But, yeah, but I but I think that was probably one of the coolest things. Like you said, they just they 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 played a game against two really good competition, and they just gave it to them. They yeah. gave them everything they had for everything that was probably going wrong the first game. Every everything the sets look clean. Beecham, Beecham, you know, especially you know had had more of an upright set that I'm used to seeing Beecham at. Uh, so he's trying something new. But I felt like he was getting off the ball on Crosby because Crosby has an incredible first jump. Yes, like he keys the football better than anybody I've seen recently. And he was off the ball and Beecham was right there with him, stride for stride. And then DJ, DJ used great hand usage. I think that was the thing when you think of Chandler Jones, he has great hands and his hands, his ability to you know to just wipe guys off and not allow them to put hands on him and, t- and turn the corner on a lot of guys and use his long arms. I thought BJ, I thought DJ did a really good job of changing up, varying his hand usage, and then also getting hands on him and taking the fight to Chandler, which I don't think Chandler was anticipating, but that's also them being teammates for so long and going against each other. You kind of know everything, every trick the guy's going to use because you've seen it every day in practice. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, what caught our attention around the NFL in week two. Max is going to weigh in on this as well. Maximum Football continues next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 
Arizona Sports. Dark. Max Starks. Max Starks. Maximum for Maximum for With Wolf and Luke. Brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Starts here for maximum football, and it was a wild week too around the league. I feel like Wolf, well, you know, you could come in here after any week in the NFL season and be like, "Oh, did you see that one crazy game or this, you know, this crazy play or whatever that happened?" But it yes. did feel like week two this year was a little over the top because we're all talking about the Cardinals come back against the Raiders as we should. It was a, basically a franchise record to come back like that. But uh, what Miami did to Baltimore, I mean, this was a great day for Max because. Cleveland and Baltimore were on the wrong ends of two pretty pretty bad meltdowns. Where we here, Max? You're the guest. We'll let you start. Do you want to talk about the Browns <laughs> blowing a 13 point lead with a minute and a half against the Jets, or the Ravens giving up 28 points in the fourth quarter against Miami? Uh, let's let's start let's start with the Ratbirds. Let's go with the Ravens and Miami. Um, we have plenty of time for the for the, for the Cleveland you know brownies um, because I, I I have a lot of my head about them. So let's start let's start with the Ravens. Let's let's go Ravens Dolphins Tua. Hey, they were ready to sell him for a can of beans in the offseason, right? Yep. They couldn't believe that this guy was a starter. They wasted a first round draft pick on him. Oh my gosh, this guy has a Heisman. But oh well, he's got he's got hip issues. Well, he seems to be further and further removed from those hips um, and the surgery. And now you're seeing that payoff. I mean, having Jalen Wall and Tyreek Hill, very nice cushion and blanket, I might add. But as bad as it went in the first half, was just how tremendous that second half was because Lamar Jackson had a perfect perfect passer rating in the first half yeah. against him. Like <laughs> Lamar could do no wrong. I think he was eleven to thirteen with three touchdowns, two hundred yards. I mean. He he did what he wanted at will, and the defense was very was very stifling early on to Miami. But they just they, they they hit a second gear in that second half, and oh my goodness, you're talking about what can be Tua. I think is if he's not leading, he should be leading the NFL. I think in passing right now. Um, it's it's ridiculous how fast and how good this Miami team could do at home under great you know a great home crowd that was there that's willing them. I don't think they can keep this pace, but it was tremendous when you're talking about the AFC race for wild card spots because I think still Buffalo is the class of that division, but Miami is making a strong case to be a strong number two, and we're going to see a great game against them come this Sunday against two very elite offenses. I think number one and number two offenses in the league right now. So it's going to be a hell of a showdown, but getting the last week to go and score that many points in one quarter was absolutely phenomenal to watch, and I'm so glad that it was the guys in in the purple and black that were experiencing it. Yeah, so Max, you're buying what the Miami Dolphins are selling right here. Huh? I mean, you're you're all on board, it sounds like, and I, I think, listen, I think the impact of Tyreek Hill for Tua Tungavailoa is significant. There's no doubt about it. I think it's a huge impact. Once again, everyone's trying to defend Tyreek Hill, and that opens up a lot of things for everyone else. Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, I'm buying them as a, as a really good wild card team, Wolf. Okay. Just to be clear, okay. I'm not buying them to win the division because I think Buffalo is still a better team than them. But the jump that they've had in year once 
year one with McDaniels and that offense. He seemed to have red rovered uh, San Francisco's game plan down to uh, to South Beach. So I'm liking what that because they have a great personnel to do what they want to do. I think that's the biggest mm. thing when you're wanting to spread the field when you want. You have two electrically fast receivers, so you can't double one of them. You've got to play quarters against them. You got to play zone, and even when you play zone, they can still blow the top off the coverage. So that just gives Tua even more carte blanche to let the ball fly. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where I like where they are when you're thinking about who they're going against this season. You know, the Bills, this is going to be the challenge, is what are you going to do game one against the Bills? Um, because they are just as dynamic in the air. Josh Allen is a more talented quarterback in the air. Tua, I think, is getting there. But it's going to be a game of chess with these two teams. And I think Miami can match scores with Buffalo. I think that's kind of where we're at, like a Kansas City. So it's really going to come down, I think, to the last two possessions of this game. Who doesn't make the mistake later in the game um, is going to win this. And I think Buffalo might narrowly do it. Um, But it's not going to be what we've seen from Buffalo the first two weeks of the season. Like, this is going to be tough on tough, good on good. Both teams doing things exceptionally well um, at this point in the season. All right, Max, that other wild finish, the one in Cleveland, which was was pretty entertaining just because the Jets don't typically end up on the right side of these things. But where do you come out? This The sequence of events at the end, Nick Chubb scores his third touchdown of the day, by the way. It's not like Cleveland was winning despite Nick Chubb. He had three touchdowns, and yet it seems like he's the one taking all the heat because he got in the end zone with 155 to go. They missed the extra point. Nobody covered Corey Davis. They couldn't recover an onside kick. And then they let Garrett Wilson get into the end zone as well, all in the span of less than two minutes with Joe Flacco, a quarterback. I I find it it just feels weird that Nick Chubb is the one taking all the heat for this. Uh, yeah, that, that, that is strange. And, you know, and, and for a guy like Nick Chubb, like, right, you know, you did everything you were supposed to do in that game, right? You're supposed to score when you get on the field with the ball. You, that, that, that's just what you're supposed to do, right? I mean, Wolf, have I, have I missed the rules of the game? No. Uh, <laughs> you score <laughs> when you're given the ball. And so for him to run that 12 yard touchdown and hit, and you kind of saw him hesitate too, right? Yeah. He kind of hesitated. Like, should I stay in bounds? Should I fall down here? What should I do in this situation? He was like, well, when in doubt, go fantasy. Score points. Um, but nobody was anticipating that, that that following series you know, would take only 33 seconds, right? I mean, a 66-yard bomb to Corey Davis from, from Waka Flocka Flacco. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. did, did anybody think that Joe had, still had that no. in him? No. And then you come back and, you know, it, it was just amazing to me that you could literally have uh, nothing worse than having an onside kick and it actually being converted, right? Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Everything had to go wrong for the Jets. If they had made one play in the last two minutes, they would have been fine. Absolutely. And then, I mean, then, then, then you win the game. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how it happened. And you missed the extra point on that previous That's Corey Davis touchdown, he, he, by the way. If I'm Nick Chubb, I'm thinking, look, I, ultimately, yes, should he have gotten down? I guess he's done that before, but I'm thinking if I fall into the end zone here, we'll hit the extra point. They're not scoring two touchdowns in the last two minutes. And even if they do, we're tied. Yeah, that is thinking way too much for me. <laughs> Get in the play end zone, the game, right? yeah. Play the game exactly. And, and and you have a good. You're supposed to have one of the best defenses, right, in the league. Uh, you know, with Miles Garrett, Jerry, Jadavion Clowney, and all these first round draft picks. And y'all couldn't stop the New York Jets offense. The Jets with Joe Flacco. <laughs> with Joe Flacco and a rebuilt offensive line, right? I mean, come on, anybody. So, 
Yeah. Does anybody say Joe Flacco's name without laughing? I feel like no, everybody. I, listen, I, I respect Joe. No, I, I do. Like, I mean, he's won guy, a Super Bowl, but, yeah. but you don't expect that with the Jets. And, and 300 yards like passing from Joe Flacco. At this point in his career, yeah, and the way football has changed, and yet he represents the old. The, yes, yeah, the I, I was shocked. Yeah, the old guard. I think we all were. Uh, all right, we come back. Kyler Murray spoke after practice today. We'll get some of his comments about how he's feeling heading into this rematch with the L.A. Rams, this playoff rematch. That's next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Arizona Sports. Max Starks. Max Starks. Maximum Footballs. With Wolf and Luke. Brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. We're back. Here it is, Wolf and Luke, on a Wednesday afternoon. Typically on Wednesdays, Wolf, that's the day Kyler Murray speaks after practice. So we have some of uh, some of his reaction after practice today. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of questions about how uh, Sunday's game against the Raiders ended. And we'll get to some of those in a little bit. But I do want to start with this one. Of course, he was asked about last year, third meeting with the Rams in the playoffs. No, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm not really focused on, you know, what happened in the playoffs uh, or last year. Um Obviously, everyone knows what happened, how we played. Um, but like I said, it's a new season, new journey, uh, new team. You know, uh, so that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the focus. Now, Max, I know in your career with the Steelers, you played the Baltimore Ravens a lot. I'm assuming that's probably the team you played the most. Um, and I'm sure you had games in there you didn't like. How, how easy is it to turn the page, especially if they're in the playoffs? Well, I mean, it, it, it is is a tough one. You know, it's a tough pill to swallow. But the biggest thing is, this is a new year, right? This is this is a new opportunity. You know, you have done things in the off season to prepare yourself to not have that same feeling that you did. You know, you go and you re up, you re you restock your your roster, and you figure out, okay, who do we need to compete against? Well, you first you turn inward to your division, right? That's the first thing you need to do. How do we stack up against our division for this year because last year's team should not be this year's team unless of course you're a champion you want them to repeat but the Rams aren't the team that they were a year ago um, you know they, they, they've had a very short offseason in comparison so that team's going to take a little bit more time to warm up and to get up to, to snuff to even attempt to make a run again but for the Cardinals you can't look at last year's squad and last year's film and glean anything outside of the fact that we did not look prepared. We were not ready. So yeah. if there's anything to take from last year is study more. Spend a little extra time getting treatment. Get yourself mentally ready. But other than that, it's new personnel there. Von Miller's no longer on the edge there. Aaron Donald's still there. But you lost a lot of pieces in free agency. That's what happens when you win a Super Bowl, right? Guys become available and guys get paid a lot of money. And in fact, the one we were talking about in the previous segment is, is now in Buffalo. Von Miller's a Buffalo Bill. And he's doing a great job for them. But you don't have him this year. The secondary for the Rams, Jalen Ramsey looks terrible. Terrible right now. Yeah. And 
that secondary looks dismantled. They're just allowing yep. people to score on them at will, throw the ball deep on them. So, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that it was Marcus Mariota <laughs> playing against them, I think any quarterback of their salt would have, would have absolutely carved them up. So it's um, it's going to be a very interesting game uh, they play against the Rams because Matt Stafford still looks a little kind of wobbly. I mean, obviously Cooper Cup cures a lot of those ills, right? I mean, him and Gerald Everett have been playing well, but the run game still isn't up to up to what they need it to be. So I think for the Cardinals coming in there, having the type of win that they had against the Raiders, which I think is a very good team, and them kind of willing themselves in that second half to really get themselves out of the funk from game one that carried over into game two. For, so for the first six quarters, you kind of erase that with the last two quarters of play. I think that's a springboard yeah. for them. And, and that's yeah. nothing from last year. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way, Max. I feel like that kind of shut the book on 2021, you know, is the season I'm talking about. The 2021 season. I know it wasn't counting the playoff game. It was technically in 2022. I understand that. But to me, that second half in the Raiders game seemed to shut the book on last season and reopen what this season could possibly be. I'm with you on this. This is a year-to-year proposition. The National Football League is a year-to-year proposition. But there are guys in that Cardinal locker room that are very, very familiar in the Cliff Kingsbury era, very familiar with losing to the Rams. Have you ever been in a situation like that yourself where where for whatever reason there was one team when you were playing you just couldn't beat? Uh, yeah, no, that, that team was the Patriots. Now, granted, we can argue the semantics of that one and whether it was legal or not, but that was a team that gave, that gave us issues. Uh, you know, cause, just because they always seemed to be prepared and know exactly what we were doing when we were doing it. No matter what we changed up, no matter what we tried to do, they were a team that just was a bugaboo for us um, in our days. Because, I mean, even when we look in division, I mean, Cincinnati was also a team that we just went back and forth with. Yeah. Um, with Carson Palmer. I mean, there was one, they'd win the division, we'd win the division. They'd make it in the playoffs, or we'd make it in the playoffs. Or one year, we both made it into the playoffs. And then Baltimore. Baltimore was a juggernaut, right? So Baltimore had just a tremendous defense. And then with Ray Rice as their running back, like they were a formidable offense. So there were teams that we could get the better of back and forth. It was more ping pong. But the New England Patriots was just the one that, even to this day, Mike Tomlin still can't quite shake them <laughs> and figure it out, no matter if they're down or not. So I would say the Patriots have been that bugaboo team to me, kind of like the Rams are for the, for the Cardinals. Yeah, you know, for me, it was um, everybody beat us. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for you, it was everybody? Everybody for the most part. 31 teams. <laughs> Although we did own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, okay, back then. Okay. When they were walking around with the dream sickle uniforms, we owned them. You're the reason they changed to that pewter helmet? <laughs> that, that's yeah, they, they, they got rid of the Buccaneer with the nut with the knife in his mouth yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the pirate flag <laughs> here's uh, here's more from, from Kyler Murray today talking about Sean McVay yeah very methodical um, you know get guys in space uh, very smart um, you know to be able to see Matt Stafford a Texas guy um, do what he did last year because I've, I've always been a fan of Matt just the way he's able to throw it um, different arm angles um, you know you see the no look stuff all uh, just the way you know he's He's really underrated up until last year, you know, just because of being in Detroit and stuff like that. So um, I've always been a fan. 
Max, you kind of touched on something that Wolf and I were talking about earlier in the show, and it's not to minimize the Rams, and it's not to minimize the Cardinals winning if they win this weekend, but do you think, because it sounds like you kind of do, think that maybe the Rams are a little more susceptible to be beaten right now than they were back in mid-January when they were picking up steam on the way to winning the Super Bowl? Because it does feel like these first two weeks, they look terrible against Buffalo. Now, maybe everybody does. I didn't think they looked all that good against Atlanta last week either. No, I mean, they, they, they look like a team that enjoyed their offseason in Los Angeles. Uh, and, and everybody, they had free buffets, I'm sure. They stayed in hotel rooms for free, flew across the country, making sure everybody knew they were champions. Uh, all the interview shows. And they look like it. I mean, they look like a team that looks tired. And that's, that, that, that is the gift and the curse of winning a Super Bowl is you don't have as much time to recover your body. You lose a month, essentially. Um, and, you, and you see it also with the Cincinnati Bengals. Look at the Bengals right now. The Bengals are sitting there 0-2, and they were a team that, you know, were essentially 30 minutes away from, from winning a Super Bowl. And they, they're, they're looking tired. And you have revamp. You have new pieces there. It's not the same team. That's why I said, you know, last year's playoff loss, you can't glean anything from it except for preparation and want to. That's the only two things you can glean from it. And this team is not the team that you, that you should – it's not the boogeyman of last year where everybody was fearing them because there's no OBJ, right? You know, you don't, you don't have the other pieces that you had offensively. Andrew Whitworth has retired. Um, it's a new team, new players, and they're they're learning they're learning these guys just as much as you know as we're learning about them as we watch them on Sunday. So I think when you talk about, they're a very gettable team right now because they're very vulnerable. So of the two and O teams in the National Football League right now, which is the biggest surprise to you? Is there one Ooh. team out there being the New York Giants? Yeah, I was about to say, I've got it. <laughs> no, I, mean, I can't really. even. I can't even go any further. Yeah, <laughs> You're, I mean, what do you? I, did you get an opportunity to see them and what they've been doing at all? You know, I've watched a little bit of them um, just in my research because, you know, I kind of I kind of get through some of the highlights just to be prepared for around the league. Right. Um, and it's just I, I think Sterling Shepard's now looking like a Sterling Shepard that we expect. Saquon Barkley's running completely Saquon. different than what he used to. You know, uh, Saquad, Saquad <laughs> Barkley. Um, you know, he, he he's he's running more consistently, whereas he used to be a boomer bust type of runner. Right. You know, he won two, negative two, negative three, 45, you know, and then, and then it'd be conservative. He's now running at more five and six yard clips and being okay with that and yeah. not trying to go for the home run hit every single time he gets the ball. And that's made this team a lot better. It's made the offensive line better. He's being patient, waiting in the holes. Daniel Jones now has a play action game to work off of and which allows for Sterling Shepard and for Kadarius Tony and all the guys out there, Kenny Galladay, all these guys are now getting opportunities in the past game because of what the run game is doing so it's been a big surprise I mean you figure you get enough picks you're eventually going to be good but I did not expect them to be off to a 2-0 start Alright we come back to Cardinals offensive line essentially stop Max Crosby and Chandler Jones on Sunday can they slow down Aaron Donald now we're going to ask Max Starks next as Maximum Football continues it's the Wolf and Luke show on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station